Welcome back to the Fangirl Forum. I'm your host, Meredith Loftus, a.k.a. your friendly neighborhood fangirl. In a year without many Avengers movies or Star Wars movies to hold me over, there is one director whose cinematic universe rises to the top, and this was the year that it was supposed to be all about my man, Wes Anderson. Unfortunately, as many movies this year, uh, his 10th film, uh, The French Dispatch, is not coming out until hopefully 2021. So in the meantime, I just want to talk about why I love Wes Anderson. And joining me to do this is, uh, man, she was here on the show before with her husband. Now it's just her and it's ladies night talking about our man, Wes Anderson, Give it up for my best friend in person, Emily Dominguez. What's up? Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to talk about one of my favorite directors. One, it's always a privilege to sit and talk movies with you and TV for that matter. But two, to be able to talk about Wes Anderson and actually record one of these conversations is just, it's great. It's one of the, it's one of the few joys of 2020, to say the least. Oh, it is. I mean, this is typically just a typical Monday night, you know, us talking about Wes Anderson. And so might as well record it. (laughs) Before we get into it, um, I would be remiss not to talk about the tragedy that uh, happened this weekend. Chadwick Boseman died age 43 after his four-year battle with colon cancer, which was truly a shock and devastation to not just like film fans or MCU fans, but like the world as a whole was just stopped in its tracks. And uh, actually, fun fact, guys, Emily was the one who broke the news to me. I was on the phone with a mutual friend of ours and she had texted me about Chadwick and I was really confused about it because I hadn't seen the news and I was shocked. (laughs) Yeah, I was as well. Um, it's one of those things where you see it on Twitter and you automatically think this can't be true. This is, you know, one of those things, those false reports. But yeah, I just sat in shock and just completely stunned and saddened and, you know, felt just tremendous, you know, sadness for his family and um, for everyone, you know, who's close to him. Just can't imagine what it's like going through something like that. Absolutely. This reminded me a bit of when Kobe Bryant died earlier this year because the TMZ had initially reported on it. And so when I see something from TMZ, I'm naturally very skeptical at first because like, that can't be real. Like there's no way Kobe died. And then it was true. It was backed up and it was so devastating. Like those, those two weeks and, and to have that happen a second time this year is heartbreaking, devastating. And to just see the number of people just like share their stories and why he was so impactful to them. It just makes it all the more like heartbreaking and the fact that he was so young and like, there's still so much more 
to give, at least at like at 43, like I saw a lot of comparisons to Heath Ledger's death as well with that same kind of like impact after, especially after an iconic role in a comic book movie to die so suddenly and tragically is, it's just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seemed like he was kind of at the um, height of his career and I remember, you know, earlier this year seeing The Five Bloods and just realizing, you know, him getting to work with such a legendary filmmaker like Spike Lee and just imagining what else is going to come. It's definitely sad that we won't get to see more films of his. And also that, you know, he, he did mean so much to so many people um, and broke so many barriers and that's something that I think will will definitely live on and we can only hope that, you know, what he did will help inspire others and that we'll continue to see stories being told in Hollywood that need to be told. Yeah. Amen. Retweet. I got chills from you saying all of that just now. So we, I think I can speak for you, Emily. Please correct me. We just lift our prayers to Chadwick's family, to the Black Panther cast, and to his friends and family who knew him best during this time as they were grieving. And that, you know, we pray that he's resting in peace and resting in power. And that, and like you said, Emily, like that he, his legacy will live on through the inspiration that he gave to other people and the stories and the, the next actors to like walk in his footsteps and the way he's impacted actors and actresses already right now. Like, I think that he will continue to live on based on the lives that he has impacted, which is, is just pretty special. Yep. It feels like a weird turn to move to what we're talking about right now, but that is kind of the art of film and in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of heartbreak and dysfunction in the world, like we turn to movies and we turn to stories that connect with us in a way that either pieces with what we're currently going through or just leave such a lasting impact. And for me, there's no better director who does that than Wes Anderson. I really love Wes Anderson. If you've seen me on Twitter, you know how much I freaked out over the pictures from the French Dispatch and the first trailer. I'm so happy that Wes Anderson is in my life. Sorry, I just like came out the way that it did, but I don't really care. Wes Anderson's amazing. Emily, when did you hear about Wes Anderson? Why do you love Wes Anderson? Yeah, let's just start there. Sure. So I first discovered or came about to love Wes Anderson with Moonrise Kingdom. And I remember... I think I saw it um, at local art house theater in Columbia, South Carolina um, with 
my sister and I remember kind of dragging it to her cause she's, we just don't share exactly the same taste of movies. Um, I guess she's not as much of a cinephile as I am. I remembered watching the trailer and just thinking this looks unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. And it just looks like delightful, fun. So I'm glad that I was able to see it in theaters. You know, in South Carolina, we don't often get many art house or indie movies. It takes some work to try to find the places that will ship. (laughs) So I was very excited to get to watch it in theaters. And from then on, I was hooked and, you know, worked to see out all of his other films and yeah, just loved um, his, you know, quirkiness and how unique and visionary he is as a director. And he definitely, you know, his films, you know them when you see them and they are like, unlike any other films out there. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very, it's very distinct. There's such a visual language to Wes Anderson movies that as soon as you see it, whether it's just a frame, you know exactly that it's his movie. And because I've been so deprived of live action Wes Anderson movies in the past couple of years, six to be exact, I found myself comparing other visual cues in different movies to Wes Anderson that I think are very unique and stunning to him or like they they're seeing what he's doing and trying to replicate it but he and um, his director of photography are just like in a league of their own. I remember watching I believe I watched Moonrise Kingdom with you first and I was definitely it was we were like visiting me at my hometown and we watched Moonrise Kingdom. And I definitely was like fascinated by him, but I wasn't in love with him yet. And it wasn't until I went to see the Great Budapest Hotel in the art house theater where we went to college in Charleston that my love for Wes Anderson was founded and just like never stopped from there. Um, Ever since then, I just like wanted to find everything he's ever made and just watch it all. And the thing is, Wes Anderson does the same kind of movie with very similar characters, but the way that he does it, it is so unique. It has so much heart. It has a memorable soundtrack and it's just visually stunning. You can't look away from it. Like for, for this episode, I ended up watching eight out of the nine Wes Anderson movies, starting from Bottle Rocket all the way to Isle of Dogs. Um, there's actually rewatched Moonrise Kingdom a month ago. So I ended up not watching it this time. It is so cool to watch him develop his craft over the years and like the blueprints of like what he'd be known for are all there in his early movies. And it's just so compelling and it's so good. And I just want to live in Wes Anderson's world. I just want to walk into it. It's going to be filled with such like smart, 
quick dialogue. It's going to be bright or it'll have a unique color palette to it. And everyone's going to be whimsical and eccentric and it's going to be great. <laughs> yes. It's, it's a world that I would love to live in. <laughs> I have a new pen for my jean jacket. I have Mr. Bean's uh, apples from a fantastic Mr. Box as a pen. And I just ordered another pen for my jean jacket and it's the Mendel's box from Grand Budapest. Nice. I love that Mendel's pink. There's just something about it. It's just like something about it. It just grabs you and you're just like you just want more of it. And I'm not even a pink person anymore. <laughs> I tried to make pink happen when I was younger guys. It did not work out. We tried. Mm-hmm. And I mean don't we just want to all eat the pastry? Yes. Over quarantine, Emily and I have both uh, decided that we, we've become bakers or amateur bakers in this. She has made some delicious sourdough during this time. And honestly, I think you're well on your way to make patisserie like Mendel's. So new goal for you. Yes. So I actually am looking now there is a buzzfeed article on how to make the pastry this might be my weekend project over labor day oh my gosh please please post pics send them my way we shall see in light of that um do you want to go do you want to talk about uh your rank your ranking for the nine Wes Anderson movies? Let's do it. My um, just closure is that I'm awful at making lists and ranks. I constantly second guess myself. So this is what I came up with. It could very well be different a week from now, two weeks from now, who knows, but this is my current ranking at least. Yeah. I will say I used to have a list of my Wes Anderson movies and as I rewatched them all for this, my rankings have changed and it's pretty interesting where certain things have moved along the way. And but like you, this is this is my list for this week. A month from now it could be totally different. Who knows? When the French dispatch comes out I'll have you back on to review the movie and then re-rank the movies. Oh, awesome. Perfect. You heard it here, here, folks. Future upcoming episode, whenever the French Dispatch comes out, this will happen again. Um, so the way we're going to do this is similar to how I did in the last episode I ranked Taylor Swift's albums. And so we're going to start with the bottom four, so nine through six, and we'll have a discussion on them. We'll do five through two, same thing. And then, of course, reveal our number one pick. And since you are my guest, Emily, I would love for you to start this off. Nine through six, let's go. Sure. So nine through six, I have at number nine, Isle of Dogs. Number eight, I have Rushmore. Number seven, I have Bottle Rocket. 
Number six, I have Darjeeling Limited. All right. Number nine, Bottle Rocket. Number eight, Rushmore. Number seven, Isle of Dogs. And number six, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. We had some similarities there. Yes, definitely. Yeah, so I got to say for Bottle Rocket, this is my first time watching it, actually, doing mm-hmm. this. And I just found myself not as engaged with the movie as much as the rest of his work. And because of that, like, I could tell, like, he was doing something and... You saw quick dialogue from Owen Wilson's character, adults who have these big dreams slash they're not willing to really like grow up and face responsibility and Luke Wilson's character, but it wasn't his signature style yet, but his music taste was there. So like that blueprint was there. And also Owen Wilson's character in that movie is possibly more annoying than Jason Schwartzman's character and Rushmore. And I really can't stand Jason Schwartzman. So you did it, Wes Anderson. Yeah, I he is very annoying, but I also love it. <laughs> Wait, who do you love? Owen Wilson Owen, or Owen Wilson Owen uh, Wilson and Bottle Rocket. Gotcha. But I just I don't know. I found it funny. <laughs> I love the part where like at the beginning when I guess Luke Wilson's leaving the psych hospital mm-hmm. and he has to like stage that he's being broken out to appease Owen Wilson, even though he's got clearance to leave on his own. Yeah. Which is great. We both had Rushmore at eight, which I find fascinating because when talking about Wes Anderson movies, most people put Rushmore at the top of their list. Interesting. Yeah. I think for me, it is like one of his, you know, earlier films. And so I think, you know, for all of his earlier films, there's, I think a level of, maybe rough edges or, you know, still kind of learning as with any director, you would see that. I think for me, the Rushmore is, it's so much about like Jason Schwartzman's character. And I think his movies work best where it's more of an ensemble, or at least that's what my personal, what I like personally is when it's a big ensemble piece. I I would agree with that. I think Wes Anderson does well uh, when he is working with like bigger family dynamics or what does family mean? Because Rushmore was about like Max Fisher and his just obsession with his school. And then he befriends Bill Murray's character, which I will give Rushmore credit. This was the first movie that Bill Murray appeared in Rushmore, and then he became a mainstay of Wes Anderson movies ever since. So I'm at least thankful for that. 
Yes. We've got to give credit to getting Bill Murray into the Wes Anderson cinematic universe. Exactly. Also, I, I will say I do like the line from Jason Schwartzman, like, I saved Latin. What did you ever do? <laughs> it's so random. And it's like, his delivery of it is good. It's, it is good. That's my Jason Schwartzman compliment of the episode. You had Isla Dogs as uh, number nine, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, as number nine. I don't really know why. I mean, really, for all of these, it's ranking with like a grain of salt because I love all of these movies, mm-hmm. as I'm sure you do. Um, so it's not like I hate Isle of Dogs. I think naturally I had to think of it kind of in comparison to Fantastic Mr. Fox as his two kind of animated films and this one wasn't just wasn't as exciting I guess yeah I I only saw it once in the theater when it came out and then I watched it for this I was surprised I ended up getting more invested in the movie watching it but compared to Fantastic Mr. Fox I don't think it's as compelling and good as that one, but it has a very impressive voice cast of his usual cast of characters, and then some new ones, plus one from Yoko Ono, which is awesome. Yoko Ono, Ken Watanabe, and even Greta Gerwig, when she directed Lady Bird, which is awesome. Yeah. Now, I will say, I haven't rewatched this since I saw it in theaters, mm-hmm. and I haven't rewatched it since I got a dog myself. What so maybe is wrong now, with you? I know. Maybe now I would have a different appreciation for it. Of having my own dog. Who knows? Oh my gosh. Next week you're going to text me and be like, Isla Dog is number one now. <laughs> and I think lastly, for number six, you had Darjeeling Limited um, not making it into the top five. Uh, why Why'd you put it there? Again, it just kind of came down to where the other films ended up. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's all good. Yeah, for me, I, Darjeeling and Life Aquatic were two that were ready to like flip-flop for me. And before this rewatch, I had Life Aquatic a lot higher, but I think the reason why Life Aquatic didn't make it in the top five for me is I think the story of Life Aquatic, a father reconnecting with his son, with his crew and his, or his whimsical crew, uh, looking for the leopard shark who killed his partner. While it was good, I think the story of Darjeeling was a little bit better for me because I liked seeing siblings reconnect slash get in contact with their mom. And there are some parts about Darjeeling that I'm on and off about, but I think the overall star- story just like just edged it out for me. Whereas Life Aquatic was, it was good. And also I was distracted by Owen Wilson's uh Kentucky Fried accent, which it was not there for a couple of lines that he had. I was like, ah, 
I heard it. I heard your regular voice. So with that, let's move into five through two. I guess I'll go ahead and do this because I kind of already teased it. Um, number five for me is the Darjeeling Limited. Number four is Fantastic Mr. Fox. Number three is Moonrise Kingdom. And number two is the Royal Tenenbaums. Mine would be, I guess, very similar. So number five would be Life Aquatic. Also number four would be Fantastic Mr. Fox. And this is where it gets, like the top three are like, could be interchangeable at any given moment. Um, but I, as of now I have number three, Grand Budapest Hotel, and number two, Royal Tenenbaums. Ooh. I mean, listen, five through two is still, like you mentioned earlier, Wes Anderson's filmography is just like an embarrassment of riches. So it really is picking between star-botted apples and oranges here. But... Yeah, all right. We both have Fantastic Mr. Fox as number four, mm-hmm. which that one moved up for me. And I love the fact that Fantastic Mr. Fox is on Disney Plus right now. Yes. Because Wes Anderson movies should just be available to the public. They should. Really, none of them are available for streaming right now, which is, is a shame. At least not... Not where I could stream them. <laughs> oh, yeah. I I had to rent a couple. I ended up purchasing two from Amazon, which were at a discounted price. Royal Tenenbaums and Grand Budapest. You should buy them now. It's kind of on the cheap side. Good to know. But Fantastic Mr. Fox is on Disney Plus, And rightfully so, because it is... It's a kid's esque movie but it's really not because it's about a father who wants his one last shot of living the exciting life he used to you have a disgruntled teen son and then his uh cousin comes in one-ups him on everything (laughs) meryl streep is in the movie so you're really winning no matter what and it's just delightful Yep. Side note, and I know Fantastic Mr. Fox is a royal doll story. There is some, you know, child aspect, I guess, of why Disney Plus would put it on their service. But that reminds me of when I went to see Isle of Dogs. There was a family there with like three very young children. Oh. And they left after like five minutes. Oh my god. Like you guys did not do your research of what this movie is. But clearly not. Clearly not. Also, let's talk about the fact that in Fantastic Mr. Fox, because Wes Anderson is also known for usually an R rating, it mm-hmm. with the exception of Isla Dogs, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and Moonrise Kingdom. There's a lot of swearing that happens, and I love that. A lot of blood and guts. 
a lot of blood and guts. But I love the fact that in Fantastic Mr. Fox, he replaces like his usual cuss words for saying, are you cussing with me? (laughs) Um, And you just hear him say like, what the cuss is this? And I'm like, that's brilliant. So uh, thankfully, like you're not introducing new words to kids who are watching this. But for the adults, you're just like, this is hilarious. It's it's great. And it's also one of my favorite Jason Schwartzman roles that he has as, um, oh my gosh, what's his name? Ash. Ash, thank you. I was going to say Axe. I'm like, that's not his name at all. No. But I do love him in that role as a teenage fox that's filled with so much angst. That works mm-hmm. for me. Yes. More than Max Fisher and Rushmore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Grand Budapest is your number three. It is. I love Grand Budapest. It's, I think, definitely his most stylized film. I think that's safe to say with the pink and the colors. <laughs> um, but I love it. It's just, you know, fun and whimsical and also has a great story. Plus, it's very refreshing to see Ray Fiennes not be the villain. Yes! You know... 100%. He's funny, which is, you know, we don't really get to see him be funny that much. And it also introduced us to Tony Rivolori. Which has been truly a gift um, as he has gone on to play Flash Thompson in the new Spider-Man movies, and he is also going to be in the French Dispatch. Thank goodness, because I think he works well in Wes Anderson's troupe of actors. Yes, I think so as well. That's great. And we... So for my number three, I have Moonrise Kingdom, Mm -hmm. which has also moved up dramatically for me because I really got in the mood to watch it a month ago. And I was so delighted to watch it because it's just an easy story about two kids who are in love and they run away together, but they're so smart and intelligent and it's juxtaposed with Susie's mom, who is cheating on Bill Murray with Bruce Willis, which also kudos to Bruce Willis for showing up and showing out in that movie. My gosh, he's so good. It also introduced Edward Norton and Tilda Swinton into the cast of characters that, uh, or the troupe of actors that Wes Anderson pulls from now, which is always a win. And I will never forget, I don't know if you remember this, but I will still, it doesn't exist on YouTube anymore. But when the Force Awakens trailer came out, the first like teaser trailer back in 2014, somebody made an edit of it with the song from Moonrise Kingdom when they're dancing on the beach, the French song. They made a Wes Anderson cut of... The Force Awakens trailer, and it was like my favorite thing that ever came out. And it's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. But I'm always saying Fold and Moonrise Kingdom because they took the song from that and dubbed it over, and it was so cool. That's amazing, and I'm sad that I never watched it. 
or at least I can't remember it. If it ever reappears on YouTube or somebody has it saved somewhere, please tweet me. And I think we had number two, both as Royal Tenenbaums, correct? I believe so. Uh-huh. Um, it's such a good movie. I mean, I love the like family dynamic. I love really any movies that have these complex family dynamics. Also, another also a reason why I love Noah Baumbach and why it makes sense that they frequently work together. That was their first film that they worked together, right? No, I don't believe so. So this was written by Owen Wilson and Wes That's Anderson. That's right. But Baumbach wrote on Life Aquatic and Pet Hats like Mr. Fox. Didn't he also do Darjeeling? No, that was him and what Jason Schwartzman. Same. Okay. And I don't have this memorized. I did write notes out, so I appreciate your <laughs> So I'm not just I'm not just pulling this from my memory because I am not that, that smart. <laughs> you are that um, smart. Don't you dare say that. I would have also thought that Bombag worked on Royal Tenenbaums, especially after like seeing Meyerowitz stories, which I feel like could be a nice double feature with the Royal Tenenbaums. Ooh. Um, just another, you know, big family, complicated interweaving story amongst people. But Royal Tenenbaums, I think, also has some of the best costumes, like iconic Ooh. looks. Agreed. I absolutely adore Royal Tenenbaums. I think it is a near perfect movie. The fact that this was the movie that really, to me, I think defines a Wes Anderson movie more than Rushmore ever did. Because it is about a dysfunctional family, somebody in the family trying to reconnect with the remaining family members and it's done with such humor and heart with and it this is also the first introduction of the chapter layout that he does in a good majority of his movies and it's just entertaining as all get out like Owen Wilson writing a book about General Custard and Ben Stiller is in the movie and he's great and Gwyneth Paltrow, which people give her a bad rap as far as like winning the Oscar for Shakespeare in Love. I also agree, not the best pick from the Academy, but she is mesmerizing in Royal Tenenbaums. Like Wes Anderson was able to pull such a performance from her that was compelling and just fit to her acting strengths, which it's so good. And then you can't forget the use of Nico in the soundtrack with her. Like when she appears to pick up Luke Wilson, it's just so good. And Gene Hackman is so good as Royal Tenenbaum. Like you feel for him and you want him to succeed to reconnect with his kids and which eventually he does. Spoilers. Sorry. It is so good. And Angelica Houston is great and it. Danny Glover, it's just a murderer's row of great performances and it's just fun. Yeah, it's so good. 
it's dysfunctional family. Like it's his best movie on dysfunctional family. Like, yeah. and that was the first one he did and he perfected it so well. And it's a little more grounded, I guess. Like certainly he's got kind of a range of more realistic movies and then, you know, kind of more fanciful stories as well. Um, but this, I feel like it's so grounded. It's got that dry humor that just works so perfectly. It may not be everyone's cup of tea, but it's mine. So I'll drink it. I will drink it alongside with you. Okay. Like we'll sip that tea together. <laughs> so without further ado, Emily, what is your number one uh, Wes Anderson film? My number one is Moonrise Kingdom. And I was going back and forth between that and Tenenbaums, but Moonrise Kingdom is the film of his that I've seen the most that I want to keep coming back to. And it, I'm sure has something to do with the fact that that was the first of his films I saw. So I have kind of a nostalgic connection to it as well, but I just love it. I love the like simple, like, you know, first love story and the, the setting of it. It's just great. I love it. And so in a very similar vein to you, my number one movie is The Great Budapest Hotel. Like you, it was the one that really made me fall in love with Wes Anderson. And it's the one I keep coming back to. It's the one I've seen the most. It's a perfect movie to be. It's so lovely that, that Zero Mustafa is telling Jude Law his story about how he befriended the concierge, which, yes, I totally agree that uh, Ray Fiennes to be in a comedic role is genius. And he should be in more, um, he should be in more comedies because he's hilarious in that movie. And just the way he carries himself, like he's so like, trying to recreate this time of civility in the midst of like war and crazy power dynamics. Also, Adrian Brody as a villain in this movie is hilarious. He's so good at it. His scene in the elevator with Agatha, Sir Sharonin's character, it always has me tense, even though I know exactly what's gonna happen, but he's so good at being really menacing. Also, this is the movie that introduced me to Sir, or did not fully introduce me to Sir Ronan, but it made me fall in love with her as an actress and wanted to see more of her in Wes Anderson movies, um, which I'm very delighted that she will also be in The French Dispatch and that she is hopping around between some of our favorite directors, which is just amazing but i really bought her love story with zero um you have everybody in it and it's just whimsical and wonderful and the score is perfection i listen to that at least once a week and totally deserved the oscar and it's actually his only movie that uses an orchestral score as opposed to his normal soundtrack and i think it mm -hmm. is perfect for it and it still carries the whimsy of Wes Anderson, which is pretty yeah. 
Yeah. Another thing that I like about Moonrise Kingdom and also in other of his films too is that I feel like with like the child actors or younger actors, we don't often see kids of that age get to do these like interesting acting roles, you know, with more, not necessarily dark, but there's definitely more of an edge to their dialogue. And, and that's, I don't know, refreshing to see, you know, I think that without his kind of examples, maybe we don't see Jojo Rabbit. Um, yes. You know. Which I constantly compared the cinematography to a Wes Anderson movie. Because, yeah, like, talk about a kid giving, like, a deep performance in a very, a very fun and humorous movie, but very heavy in mm-hmm. a lot of the subject matter at hand. Also, I love Moonrise Kingdom because that's where we get the first little bits of Lucas Hedges and his career. And I have seen Grand Budapest a number of times. This is the first time I watched it yesterday where I finally noticed his brief scene with Willem Dafoe in that movie. And I'm like, yes! Oh my gosh! Like, Lucas Hedges needs to do more in Wes Anderson. Like, yes. And he's so good in Moonrise Kingdom. He's such a brat at the beginning. And yeah. it's good. Yeah. And I, I didn't realize that he was in that. I mean, when I first saw the movie, of course, I didn't really know who he was. And now he's become this kind of indie darling. A24 darling. Which, yeah, yeah, Wes Anderson is working with these great, like, actors as kids, and they become, like, Mm -hmm. these big namesays, like Saoirse Ronan, like Lucas Hedges, like Tony Revolori. And now, finally, he's working with Timothy Chalamet. Yes, but let it be known, I know you know this, but both Saoirse and Timothy were Oscar nominees before they ever met. Or yes, they were. were in a Wes Anderson movie. So it's not like he's fully, he can't fully take credit for their success. But it is exciting to see him working with these like younger actors who are kind of the new Hollywood class. That is so exciting, though. Ah, I love Wes Anderson. I love his talent pool and, like, the performances and the fun that, and it, it seems like based on the people who keep coming back for his movies, they all want to because they're fun to do. Like they want to be in that world. Oh, right. I mean, there's no reason that Bill Murray would show up for like five minutes in a movie, you know, unless he really loved being a part of these worlds that he creates and, all these other little cameos. Definitely excited for the French Dispatch because it seems like that has, you know, just when he thought there could be more actors in one movie. This you really be, laid it out of even more, right? Everybody, right now, of course, and you know, some of these people may only be in the movie for five minutes, but it's still very exciting to see. Yeah. I'm really excited that Sersha is coming back and Tony Revolori as well. I'm excited that Benicio Del Toro is being added to the mix. 
I think he's Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss. Timothy Chalamet, obviously. My my guy, Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> also, Jeffrey Wright uh, is going to be yes. in it. And he looks great in it. Oh, my goodness. And also, he looked really good in the Batman trailer for Matt Reeves. Holy crap. That movie looks yes. amazing. Side note, that movie looks awesome and every casting choice seems perfect. Yes, 100%. Like, another director that I really enjoy is Matt Reeves. And I think what he's going to do for Batman is the way that, like, we treated Christopher Nolan, what he did for Batman. But in his own way, that is going to be so unique and fascinating. And also, Paul Dano as the Riddler is one of the best casting decisions ever. Period. Agreed. Sorry for that Batman tangent, but it's so worth noting. That it's movie the fangirl forum, so. That's right. Thank There's you. license to go off on fangirling. That is, that is the true joy of this podcast is, like, we get to fangirl over whatever we want and let it go wherever we want. But I did want to stick on the French dispatch train for a second. <laughs> Not the Darjeeling Limited train, but. Um, <laughs> see what I did there? Oh, I see. <laughs> we all see. Oh, my goodness. So, unfortunately, the French dispatch is delayed. It was supposed to come out in July of this year, which, honestly, July was going to be a great month. Tenet and the French dispatch. I was set. But now the French Dispatch is delayed. It is off the the calendar, definitely for 2020, or maybe it'll swoop back in. When when do you think we're going to see this film? You know, I don't know. (laughs) I hope soon. It's tough to say because it seems like, you know, Disney's, I guess it's Disney technically, right? Yeah, I mean, technically, it's under the Disney umbrella, umbrella, which is great because they have Disney money behind their marketing for Fox Searchlight, so or Searchlight Pictures mm-hmm. or whatever they're called now. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like they have. Seems like their, I guess, release strategies have been, you know, interesting. Like choosing to put Mulan on Disney Plus versus waiting to put it in theaters Mm -hmm. so i don't know where this falls i also i know we love wes anderson and there's many people who do but i also wonder like what are their box office goals you know for a movie like this that's not a blockbuster you know it's not a Mm -hmm. franchise movie so i wonder if they're thinking would it be better to release on demand I don't know. I just hope they release it soon. That's Mm -hmm. all I can say. I would love to see it be eligible for next year's Oscars, which I think they have to release by February Mm -hmm. around then, if I'm not mistaken. So I would love to see it before then, at least. I I mean, I would love it to come out yesterday. You know, (laughs) I want this movie in my life and I definitely think, like like you mentioned, Wes Anderson has, as certain directors do, there is kind of this, like, built-in fan base that you find for a director, like, 
Christopher Nolan and Tenet coming out in a lot of U.S. theaters this weekend. Scorsese has a certain fan base. Certain actors have their own fan base too. Like you'll go see it because of The Rock or Will Smith or something, or not something, someone. So because of that, if it was released on VOD in the vein of Mulan being released on Disney Plus for a premier price of $30, how much would you be willing to spend to watch The French Dispatch if it came out this weekend? If it came out this weekend, it's a very tough question. I would probably pay... I would probably pay the $30 if it was going to be just, you know, me and my husband watching it, I guess. If it was more than that, if it was $40, I would probably still pay it, but I'd try to enlist some other friends to chip in. Mm-hmm. I think any more than that, I might have to pull the plug, though, because at a certain point, it gets ridiculous also i don't know how relevant this is but i did look up the grand budapest hotel grossed around 60 million domestic and i think that's its highest grossing film at this point i i believe so or i i want to be surprised at that So I don't know. I mean, if you divided that by 30, they'd only need 2 million people to buy it. Just 2 million. I don't know. I would also be willing... Oh, I'd be willing to pay on my own this weekend $35. I would go that extra like $5 more even Mm -hmm. for the French Dispatch. For $40, I would also start enlisting people. 50 is extreme, but I do love his films, and I treat them like event films at this point, that in the absence of the MCU or Star Wars, this was going to be my event movie of the year. So if I could watch it for $35 this weekend like take my credit card information. I'm watching it because I would also, I was also looking forward to it being a part of uh, the Academy Awards this upcoming year and award season. Like give me a full season where I get to talk about Wes Anderson for a few months. Like, yes, please. And he is a, he's an Oscar favorite. Usually when he makes something, it is nominated. So that gives me a lot of excitement because I love seeing Wes Anderson get recognized for his work and just the people involved. So I would totally pay, totally pay the 30 bucks, even go up to 35 for, for the chance to watch this movie on VOD between now and February. I mean, obviously, I would love to see it in a theater, to be back in that environment, and to see it in its glory the way it was intended to be viewed, but 
if, especially in California, with it's going to take a lot longer for theaters to open in LA County, I'm totally willing to pay. I'm willing to watch it on my laptop and connect it to my TV so I could get close to the the theater experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's one thing, at least this movie, it's, you know, I think being in a movie theater obviously enhances the experience of any film, but this is not the same as Tenet where, you know, big action set pieces where it is going to really make a difference if you see it on a big screen. At least that would be my assumption. But I just hope, I worry that, I mean, obviously, I guess Grand Budapest Hotel came out in May. May of 2014. Right. So there's definitely precedent of his films coming out early by award season standard and still getting in, you know, at this point, like you said, he does have kind of good standing, I guess, with the Academy, but I, I almost worry that if it doesn't make the cut for this year's Oscars, that they'll push it till like later next year. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want to wait that long. <laughs> I definitely don't want to wait that long. And I also, that's something that's really interesting that you bring that up because about uh, Wes Anderson release dates, because they aren't typically part of the usual award circuit, but yet it still stands out and makes it into award season because it's so separated and it's so different. And I think about the way that Christopher Nolan has done that really well with his movies. They're usually like summer movies, but yet they still get nominated like, I remember when Dunkirk came out, I watched it that summer at an IMAX theater, you know, and still had a lot of awards praise. So I think it's very strategic to have it set apart in a, a non-typical time. And I'm really worried and afraid if Disney or anybody from Disney who's listening to this, if you're listening at all, Hi, hello, how are you? If you put Wes Anderson's new movie, The French Dispatch, in award season, I am really fearful that it could get potentially buried in award season. Because think about it. This upcoming year, and even next year too, because so many movies are have been delayed until 2021, there's going to be a big rush of high quality movies that are coming out in a two year span. Like movies that have been held off in order to make award season, get those box office numbers. And because of that, I think a lot of good movies are just going to slide under the radar of Academy recognition, which is heartbreaking. Or it's going to make it really fun because there's going to be a lot of like great movies nominated. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's murderer's row. I can't like any of these are winners, which that's always a fun year because you're like, who's going to win? Which I thought last this past awards season was a particularly good year. I think if so many opt, if not enough opt to VOD and get awards recognition, we're just going to see like, 
films, like just like an onslaught of movies come out in this next year. And I'm so like, I'm going to watch the French dispatch a lot, no matter how it comes out. But I am worried for its awards push. If it's not as set apart as it normally is, Mm -hmm. will it affect its chances? Because it has done so well not being a part. It's Wes Anderson movies are like hipsters. You know, they do things at their own speed. Oh, you want to see this movie during award season? I come out in May or July when it's not typical, you know? Oh, yes. Yeah. And I mean, I'm the Oscar nut, so I'll always bring up the Oscars. I don't know if Wes Anderson cares about the Oscars. I don't know. You know, I'm sure that that's not his primary goal in making films, but I do like to see him recognized and I just don't want it to come out like late next year. Mm. I just want it. I want it now, but coronavirus has other plans. Unfortunately, coronavirus 2020 just had other plans. So while thinking about the future, because the French Dispatch is going to come out at some point. Wes Anderson will have 10 films under his belt, which is incredible. We are impatient people. We already want to know what the next Wes Anderson movie is. So let's pitch the next Wes Anderson movie. What's the plot? Who are you getting involved? And who's an actor or actress you would love to enter the world of Wes Anderson that hasn't already? And would they be in more of the lead role? Would they be in the supporting role? Like, let's do it all. So, Emily, take it away. Okay. So I had fun with this. A part that I love in Moonrise Kingdom is the whole Noah's Ark play thing. So, and I also love theater, so I would love to see a Wes Anderson movie that is, like, set in the theater that centers around a love triangle. Ooh. So, I wrote a tagline. <gasps> Are you ready? Yes. Give it to me. Okay. At the historic Mashpee, Massachusetts Playhouse, trouble brews in the final week of rehearsal leading up to the world premiere of Barnaby Hudson's new play, The Twilight Lovers. I see that on the poster. <laughs> so I would love to see in this film, in my imagination, Greta Gerwig, who would be the stage manager. We'd have to have Bill Murray in there somewhere. I don't know where, course. but he would be he would be in it, of course. He owns um, the theater or something and just pops up on like yeah. the day of or something. Yeah. Jeff Goldblum would be the director. Mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe would be kind of like the creepy stagehand that like pops up, kind of like that kid in Hey Arnold who breathes over Helga's <laughs> shoulder. That would be Willem Dafoe. Saoirse Ronan and Timothy Chalamet would be, would play the romantic leads in the play. However, off stage they can't stand each other. Because I think every look, I love Timmy and Sersha. They're like the new Kate and Leo, but I would love to see them play like not buddies in a film. 
And then Tony Revolori would be there. He would be like the head of the costume department. So that would be kind of my like, you know, old school cast. Some people that I would love to see who are not currently in any Wes Anderson films to my knowledge. Lakeith Stanfield. One of the most exciting actors, like new new ish actors. Um, he would be the box office manager who falls in love with Sersha. Ah! Um, we'd have Adam Driver because why not? I love him. And I kind of can't believe he hasn't been in a Wes Anderson movie. Like, considering how many Noah Baumbach movies he's been in. And I think it's fun to see, like, how Wes Anderson and Greta, like, fight over Saoirse Ronan. So it'd be fun to see, like, him and Noah fight over Adam. Dev Patel. He ah! would play, Yes. He would play, especially after seeing the trailers for um, David Copperfield. I yes. think he has... Kind of a similar, like, quirky vibe. I think he would do well. He would be the playwright who Saoirse falls in love with. We'd have Ian McKellen. Oh, my god. Be like, he'd be, like, the cranky theater goer. Kind of like, I always forget their names. The guys, the Muppets. Oh, um, oh my gosh. I'm drawing a blank on their names, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah. So maybe we'd have him and... Um, Sir Patrick Stewart. Who knows? Antonio Banderas. Oh my gosh. He would be fun. And the the play's villain would be played by Dave Bautista. Ooh. Is this great. because you love uh, Drax so much? Look, it may be because Drax is my favorite Marvel character. But I feel like Drax would work in a Wes Anderson movie. He's got that, like, dry, like, deadpan kind of sense of humor. Mm-hmm. So I think he would work well in Wes Anderson's world. So there you have it. That's what I came up with. And it will live in my brain. Unless Wes Anderson is listening to this and he wants to get to work. <laughs> hey, Wes Anderson, or any of Wes Anderson's people... Hire Emily Dominguez right now to <laughs> develop this movie. Oh my gosh. This would be so incredible. All of the theater people would like be so drawn into this movie because like they know this environment so well. I just picture it in my head and especially the sets, how he uses to go between sets like you're on a stage, like this lends perfectly to doing a show, like doing a movie at a theater. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, Emily, just round of applause. <laughs> thank you, thank you. My plot is not that detailed at all. Um, oh, that's okay. Mine is that's very generic in comparison. I have two different uh, ideas for Wes Anderson. So for me, I, I've always loved one idea in particular, but because of a certain movie that came out last year, I don't know if it is going to come out anytime soon, but I'd still watch it anyways. I think Wes Anderson 
should do a murder mystery. Let's say whatever other movie are you talking about? I'm talking about Ryan Johnson's brilliant knives out. And he plays on a lot of, I think, strong qualities that you find in Wes Anderson movies, as far as a dysfunctional family, um, some whimsy and like meaty characters to dive into and very humorous throughout. I love knives out because we just got knives out. I don't think we'll see a Wes Anderson murder mystery anytime soon, which is heartbreaking because it'd be so good. It would be so good. And I totally knew what you were talking about, but I thought I'd give you the opportunity to talk about Ryan Johnson. I mean, I always love an opportunity to talk about Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson, if you ever listen to this, hi, I love you. I think you're amazing. Cannot wait to watch your Star Wars movies whenever they are developed. Anyways, I would love to see a Wes Anderson murder mystery in the vein of Clue that all happens in one night. You stay in the mansion when it happens um obviously bill murray is going to be the one who dies uh and everybody there is a suspect um i think you well for one and i say this for both of the plots that i have i think cast wise somebody who's been out of the picture of wes anderson movies for a while and i think he's due for a comeback is luke wilson Luke Wilson hasn't been back since Royal Tenenbaums, and he was incredible as Richie. We need a Luke Wilson comeback to Wes Anderson, and I don't care if it's in a cameo role or if it's like a main role. I think he, I think he should come back. Just wanted to throw that in there. I agree. Um, also, I have a take on a superhero movie that I've been thinking about. And it not being like a Marvel movie or a DC movie, but specifically in the vein of a dysfunctional family, uh, you have, and somebody who worked really well in a movie that I also compared to Wes Anderson last year, Jojo Rabbit um, from Taika Waititi. I would love to see Sam Rockwell in a Wes Anderson movie where he is playing a man who believes that he is a superhero and um, his son is trying to bring him back to reality and he's kind of like the deadpan voice of reason between the two of them. I think like he is estranged from his wife because like he is like just adopted this role for he just is so enamored with the belief that he's a superhero and just kind of like the breakdown of relationships in his life where he's connecting with his son even though his son is trying to like get him back to reality and I think that would be a really cool dynamic to see especially a take on the superhero genre where it's not based on a comic book character but just the idea of like how superhero movies impact us and like wanting to embody those characters and like potentially the consequence of that um whether it be positive or negative so uh, i don't have much beyond that but i do think it is more of a father-son movie 
but the child would not be an older Owen Wilson. But I was thinking, I was thinking of Roman and Griffith Davis in this, who was Jojo and Jojo Rabbit, but also the kid who played um, Yorkie, actually, I think would be kind of perfect. Oh my gosh, what's his? Archie Yates. <laughs> I would love to see Archie Yates in a Wes Anderson movie um, because I think he's definitely hilarious, but I'd like to see him take on the type of humor that Wes Anderson does, and I think he could be really great for that. Plus, it would be it would be different than what he did in Jojo Rabbit. So um, those are my plots. As far as cast goes, Sam Rockwell, um, Roman Griffith Davis, Archie Yates, would love to see them in it. I'd love to see Lucas Hedges again in a Wes Anderson movie. Let's bring him back. Obviously, Saoirse Ronan, Adrian Brody, Bill Murray, obviously. Honestly, I'd love a good cameo from Angelica Houston or and or Gwyneth Paltrow because I think that would just be very surprising and different to have them show up. Maybe like Gwyneth Paltrow is the estranged wife of Sam Rockwell. Let's see, who else would I like to see in a Wes Anderson movie that hasn't already? I'd really like to see Lily James in a Wes Anderson movie. I think she is a great actress um, who definitely has shown her chops in an Edgar Wright action movie, um, a big blockbuster Disney movie, as well as a blockbuster musical. I think it'd be fun to see her in a comedy like a Wes Anderson movie. I'd love to see Richard Madden as well. Like, why not? Why not? Um, yeah, why not? Honestly, I really love Daniel Kaluuya, and I'd like to see him enter the world of Wes Anderson. I think he's just very dynamic in whatever role he is in, and I don't know. I'd like to see him, like, take on the world of Wes Anderson and see what happens. Yeah, we haven't really seen him do many kind of light, funny roles mm-hmm. that I know of. Like, he's very intense. He is intense, usually. but I think he's Which capable is- of scaling back a bit. Or I don't know. I've, no, I think, I think he's talented enough that he can do it. Oh, yes. He's uber talented. And he's going to be great this year in... Judas and the Black Messiah. Oh my gosh, that movie looks so good. Just that trailer alone, I'm like, okay, give him the Oscar. Just go ahead. But yes, I would love to see him. And I would love to see that superhero Wes Anderson movie. That would be great. And I think by the time, if he were to ever make this movie, it could be coming at a time when the superhero genre is kind of like fading and you kind of see like the product of all of those years of that genre and the result of that into a Wes Anderson movie, I just think is really, it could be really cool and fascinating. Mm -hmm. 
and obviously have Willem Dafoe in there somewhere because he's great in every single role in a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> I don't want to say underrated because he's obviously done a lot of great movies, but I always want to see more Willem Dafoe. Yeah, the more Willem Dafoe, the better. I love it. And now I'm just even more excited for more Mike Peterson movies. And hopefully we'll get news of the French Dispatch soon. Oh my gosh, seriously. I am just waiting for the day that the press release comes out that it's being either released on VOD or has a new release date in the theaters and I'll be marking my calendars and scheduling whatever is going on in my life around said movie. And also I'm just ready to hear that he's developing a new movie too while in quarantine. Like I would love, let's say a month from now that it's released. Like he's already written this script. He's already cast everybody. He like, Gave, gave everybody the call and like production's gonna start like a week from then i'd be like yes there's more wes anderson yeah, because he often yeah, just spaces them out mm-hmm, he does and i'm sure you know as a director you know that takes a lot out of you you know it makes sense to like take the time between stuff especially if you're also writing you know writing your own movies as well. I know he collaborates with people usually, but yeah, I don't know. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if like maybe next year or the year after is kind of a lull in movies due to, you know, people not being able to film this year mm-hmm. um, for months at a time. But then the following year, we'll see like a ton of great movies because all these writers have been, you know, stuck at home and they're still able to write. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what art in the form of movies comes as a result of this crazy year that we've been stuck in for a decade. For real. It's been the longest year ever. And like so much has happened in this year. Yes, like you, I am very excited for all of the art that has been developed during this time, and we get to see the product of that a couple years from now, and as a fan of film and movies and series, like, it's exciting to know, like, we're going to get such good content in the next little bit as a result of this, so maybe that is the one one benefit of coronavirus is all of these great people got to sit indoors and like write all this great new stuff that's coming. Trying to find light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, the, the silver lining. The silver lining. Well, before we go, I'm going to throw you a little curveball. I wanted to ask you um, who is your favorite? character of Wes Anderson? Oh, that's a tough question. I know, curveballs. <laughs> Let's see. My favorite character. 
I would probably say zero. Yeah. He's just, he's great. Zero is great. I'd have to say either, I'd I'd have to say Gustav H. or Agatha in um, Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. They're both fantastic. Zero is fantastic. I even love um, Margot Tenenbaum as well. Actually, Royal Tenenbaum is my favorite in that movie. He's just great. He sucks as a dad, but he is, he's pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh my gosh. I can't believe we talked this long about Wes Anderson. This is just amazing and wonderful. And I hope you had as much fun as I've had Emily doing this. Oh, I had so much fun and I I would love to chat again once the French dispatch comes out to gush about that and like I said he's he's one of my favorite directors he's a director that I do love seeing movies in theaters in general but if I you know had to limit myself of how like which movies to see in a theater like his are definitely ones that I would go see in you know week weekend that they come out no matter what um so I love chatting all things Wes Anderson and yeah, excited for what comes next. Agreed. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, where, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Emily E. Dominguez. I'm also on Letterboxd at Emily E. Dominguez. I've been trying to get Meredith to join Letterboxd and she refuses. So you guys out there should pressure her to do so. Peer pressure. I'm just kidding. We don't need to, we don't need to perpetuate peer pressure on this podcast. (laughs) It's all good. As always, you can find me at Meredith Loftus on Twitter and Instagram. I am not currently on Letterboxd. I have downloaded the app. I just have not for like the longest time, but I haven't done anything with it. So Um, maybe eventually it will happen. Thank you again so much for joining us. Uh, I hope you have a fantastic day. See you next time.